How are you guys doing today? You know, uh, it's funny. I've been accused of having a mischievous look on my face today, uh, a suspecting look. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's not of any intention of mine, but except, yeah, this is me being normal, except for maybe you, Steve. I, I've got my eye on you. I don't know what you're up to today, but it's something, so... Praise God, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and you know what? I mean, even though I hate what's going on outside, um, God's good in here. If you guys could turn into your Bibles to John chapter 9, you know we've been in this John series now for the better part of four months, and we're, we're just up to chapter 9, and you know, throughout it we've highlighted that in the book of John... There's only seven miracles that are talked about. And today, what we're actually covering the, uh, the sixth miracle that is mentioned in the book. And, and I don't know if you have ever had a miracle from God. Raise your hand if you say, I know there's been a miracle from God that's touched my life. Okay, there's, there's quite a few of you in here. Now, I, I got to tell you, even though I, I know there's been miracles from God in my life, I could probably count the, the major miracles, the things that truly changed my heart on one hand. And every single one of those were a significant transformational part of my life. Now, as we've been going through this series, I, I don't want to make it seem like I've downplayed that we believe in miracles, because we do. We believe in a miracle-working God, amen? But what I want to highlight is that in the process of God bringing a miracle to your life, there is a greater work to be done than that miracle itself. Jesus, as he's continuing his ministry and, and working through his disciples' understanding, he sees an opportunity, what we're going to read about today, to display an important truth to them. And we also see at the same time, the Pharisees are trying to find something to charge Jesus with so they can get him to stop ministering. Let's go ahead and read. And it, it's a big portion of scripture today. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but I'm going to give you a heads up when we do. Let's read starting at John 9.1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Who's heard that before? Okay. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Shalom. Shalom means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Praise God. Now let's look at verse 13. It says, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him. We've seen that argument before, haven't we? Now verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. 
So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Now let's skip down to verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the, the, the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, as hearts are stirring, and Lord, there might even be a bit of hesitation today. But God, I pray that, Lord, we will hear you out in the truth of your word. And God, we will begin to understand what you are calling us to do. Lord, that you have marked us as, as your children. And Lord, we have a world that needs to come to know Christ. Lord, you're going to call people out today. Lord, you're going to ignite the body of Christ. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in looking at these miracles and something like the message today, there's something pretty amazing about Jesus restoring physical sight. Imagine being a witness to that. And it's so hard for us to, to imagine what the life of that blind man must have been like up to that point in the circumstances he must have dealt with and also the perception of the circumstances that led him to that point. Think about this. The disciples are even asking themselves, why has this happened? And notice the first thing they come to the conclusion of, maybe it is because of his sin. And if it's not because of his sin, maybe it's because of his parents. And we're going to get to that in a moment in Jesus refuting that. But it brings about the question that many people struggle with when they think of God and the existence of this God that, that created all things. He is our creator and he wants to connect with us. People ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Clearly, that's exactly what the, the disciples were struggling with. And so their reasoning was bad things happen to people because of sin. Now, although I can, I can understand where they're coming from, they did not go deep enough in their understanding that everything that is in decay here on the earth, including our bodies, is the result of sin. Amen? 
That's the result of sin. But I've heard this thought in particular about an individual sin leading to a bad circumstance or the sin of their parents leading to why they are the way they are. And what I find terrible is that is even prevalent in the church. Come on now, you've heard it from church people before, haven't you? Think about it. When something bad happens to someone or their child, I've heard a multitude of times, I wonder what they've done to deserve this. Right? Or, it's because there's sin in their lives. That's just the easy conclusion to draw. Or, the Lord's teaching them a lesson. Heard that too. I've I've heard all of it. And Jesus teaches here there is one principle we can cling to as the reason bad things happen in a sinful world. Listen to verse 3. It is not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, God's power is displayed both through the the manifestation of healing and miracles, but his power is also displayed in using weak vessels to display his might. And so, God can bring healing through his son, and we know he does. And I've got a verse that I want to reinforce with that, Matthew 8, 16 through 17. It says, that evening many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, He took our sickness and removed our disease. I stand firm in knowing that if I cling to the the power of Jesus Christ, that He, that, that through God, we can be healed. Amen? We can be healed. And we also accept that through Christ's sacrifice, Christ sacrifices, it says in 1 Peter 2.24, by his wounds you were healed. But the healing God proclaims over your life is not just a physical, temporary healing. It's an eternal one. It is an eternal healing. It doesn't mean that God must bring a physical healing every time he displays his power. Consider the Apostle Paul. We might say that every trial he faced as a believer was God punishing him for his crusade to kill Christians before he came to accept Christ himself. And you know what? If you thought that, Paul might agree with you. He might agree with you. In fact, God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, it says, but the Lord said, go for Saul, who changed his name to Paul, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. But I want to distinguish there is a difference between the calling that God had upon Paul's life and his standard for human life. Whether you have done good or bad before you came to know Jesus doesn't mean you're going to suffer the same fate as Paul. But I promise you, God wants to use you 
So the power of God is displayed in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul said three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I want to be clear about what I'm getting at here. God wants to display his power through you. But are you going to be a willing vessel? Are you going to be a willing vessel to say, yes, God, use me. Use me in my circumstance. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I was a dreamer growing up. I, I daydreamed about what life was going to look like, and I had, I had expectations. And Wendy and I, we, we met at Bible college. We got married. Uh, we were both going to school to be missionaries, and we had plans. We, we, we made plans. And then our, our oldest son was born about two years after we got married. Three. That's why she's here, guys, to correct me. Um, our oldest son was born about three years after we got married. And life took a turn, an unexpected turn. Where now we, you know, we, we have special needs boys and, and we have embraced our children. We have accepted these are the gifts that God has given us. We believe and claim that healing in their lives. But we don't get down in our circumstances. Instead, we look to God as a gift giver who provides healing. And our ultimate healing, check this out, our ultimate healing is going to be in eternity. Okay? So here's the thing. We don't, we, we don't put these expectations on God. Well, you know, you healed the blind man. This is, this is who Jesus Christ is. It says by, by your you know, wounds we are healed. So now I am just going to claim and believe in that healing. And if it doesn't happen, it's just going to leave me open to question all things. Because that's an approach many people take. Now here's the thing that I know. The power of God has been seen. It was seen in this man's life. It's been seen in my life. I've, I, I've seen it before, right? I've seen these things happen. And you have this blind man who is standing right in front of Jesus, and he has obviously heard the disciples were debating whether or not he was blind because of the result of his sin or his parents' sin. And all he is doing is he's standing there to be a willing vessel for Jesus to use him. For that man, at that moment, I'd have to imagine... The physical healing was everything, right? It was everything right then. But for Christ, it was about God's power on display in his life, okay? And so as we see later in the story, it doesn't come to full fruition by just the healing alone, but by the word of his testimony. By the word of the testimony of the man. 
See, Jesus, by his work and very nature, he displayed the power of God that rested on him. That was evident. So it really didn't matter what the Jewish leaders thought or the Pharisees thought and were saying about him. The Jewish leaders and and, and the Pharisees, they had never seen that done before, and that could not be refuted. That couldn't be refuted. But as we've spoke about before through this series, this brought affirmation to the words that Jesus spoke. He is the Son of God. And the only reason he would be refuted, and I want you to think about this because we're going to talk about this a little later on, is because of hardened hearts unwilling to receive. Because that same miracle-working God He is alive and active today, amen? Amen. And he can minister through you. Everyone here say, through me. Let's say that again, because I really want you to get this. He can minister through me. Okay, and, and this is very significant, and this is important for the body of Christ because it takes a vessel that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in boldness and the confidence that Jesus Christ carried. And the key for us is the power doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Okay? And let God determine the outcome. But as long as you have a willing heart, God will want, check this out, He wants to display His glory. And this isn't to bring physical healing to the world. Or to just confound people by the miracle. He wants to turn hearts toward him. He wants to turn hearts toward him. And so even though this healing was bringing a a physical restoration to this man's body, it also brought spiritual insight. When you see something awe-inspiring, something that is clearly from God, then we have to deal with the realities of what just took place. And the realities in the miracle, they point our hearts toward God. It, It reveals in us, this is not normal. This is not natural. This is something supernatural. This is something from an all-powerful God. And as I said, there has been several God-awing miracles in my life. I was sitting there thinking about this this morning. The miracles that have taken place where I've just seen God show up in miraculous ways. And because it happened almost, boy, 12, nine years ago this year, um, it was winter, about like now, lots of snow just fell, and I went out to clear the driveway, and you can imagine how, how young my children were then, being nine years ago, and they, they wanted to go outside and play, and they played, and I had cleared the driveway with the snowblower, and I had left everything set up and went in the house, and we were talking about what's going to be for dinner, and dinner was going to be soon, and she got all prepared. Eventually, we get the kids inside, and, and while dinner's almost ready, I don't know what happened. Well, I know what happened to me. It was God, but all of a sudden, I had this urge And I looked at my wife and I said, I need to go work out in the basement. 
I had never done that before in my, I mean, I've worked out, but I'd, I'd, never, I'd never worked out in the basement before, but it was just the oddest thing in the world. And I go down to, the, I, I, get, I get workout clothes on, I go down to the basement, and all of a sudden, I smell gasoline. And I'm looking around going, where on earth would be gasoline? And so I start following my nose. And I go over to our furnace that was a gas furnace. And the kids didn't know better, and they took a gas can and poured it down the vent, and it went down and was resting in the pan right underneath the burner. I screamed up at Wendy immediately, shut off the thermostat now! And, and that, that was just my initial reaction. I, I should have just ran to the breaker, but we were in a rental, and I, I couldn't just get to the breaker quickly because I had to figure out where it was. And uh, she gets it shut off. I sop up all the gasoline that's in there. I open it all up, let it clear out, and we decide to drive around Waterloo for about three hours while it's just airing out in the house. Then we came back, and about five hours later, we turned the, turned the heater on and had everyone stand outside just in case. And I sat there, and I looked at her, and I'm like, what just happened? What just happened? Praise God, that furnace never kicked on as much as we'd been in and out of the house. Just right as you're wanting to serve dinner, I decide to go work out. What's that? Like, just try, and it's God. It's God. In these moments, there's an appropriate time to sit in awe and it makes sense that we can't believe what just happened or, or, or what, what we witnessed. But what are you going to do with the miracle that God provides? What are you going to do with that miracle? This man who just had his sight restored is now being questioned multiple times by these guys who think they're in authority over him and so much better than him. And they're trying to get to the authenticity of what happened. And this man, he just keeps going back to, I can only attest to what happened in my life and what I've witnessed and the realities of what Jesus did. And it is in this understanding and his unwavering testimony that he brings witness not to who they assume Jesus is, but that he is the Son of God. L listen to the argument again. We're going to read this again, verse 24 of John 9. It says, so for the second time, they grilled him once already. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But let's further go on. Check this out because listen to what the blind man states here in verse 30, but we're going to start at verse 28. It says, then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why? That's very strange, he replied. Listen to this truth. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. 
if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. He couldn't have done it. A simple understanding of the work of Jesus points to him being God's son. And through God's miracle working power, it not only speaks to the world, but it can change your heart. You know, thinking about the process of time in this blind man being healed and now he's got he's got all these guys around him grilling him because they just want to find a way to to just accuse Christ and and now all of a sudden what we're seeing in this man is there was an inward work and it brought about change in his life and I don't know whether in that day in that moment where he is confessing Christ to these Jewish leaders if they chose to believe in the message that he was speaking but it is clear the blind man was now convinced he was convinced of who Jesus was if no other life was changed in that moment it is clear his life was changed not just physically but spiritually he embraced Jesus for who he was miracles that happen like this this isn't occurring at the same rate in the church And I sit there and I try and examine why that happens because if I cling to my understanding of Scripture and and what Jesus has promised us, it should be happening. And I think it is because we are so tentative when it comes to the power of God. See, because we sit here and we say, I know God can do it. We would all agree we know God can do it. But then we think, but he's going to use someone else. He can't use me. He's got to use someone else to do it. Or he's going to do that miracle work in someone else. See, you and I, we settle for human reasoning more than we settle for God's work. And and honestly, think about this. God can do, he can do both. God can reason And God can provide a miracle that is well beyond our understanding. And human reasoning doesn't matter when it comes to God's power displayed. Are you guys hearing me now? Because we are going somewhere. Our minds, we are so finite that if you want to try and grasp a miracle, it is impossible. You can't do it. It is hard to fathom and understand the power of God. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 17. It says, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. When mankind witnesses these moments, that is when hearts yield to God. That's when they yield. So yes, you and I, we should cling to the moments God has done a great work in your life. But you need to move forward. You need to move forward. No matter what the pushback is from other people who maybe they didn't witness that work of God in your life or they try and use that human reasoning to explain what happened. Because what I have found is everyone wants a say in your life. (laughs) Amen, right? I mean, how often do we have that? And, And there will always be people in your life that make an effort to discredit God. 
So we have to be determined, I know what I know. I know what happened. No one can take that away. And we have to resist the world's perspective for you. Church, don't let others make you question what you know God has done. Don't, don't, don't let, shut them out. Tune them out. Re, stand firmer in the truth because you know what you have witnessed. Because it is that constant practice of religion as rules to adhere to that the Jewish leaders were in. And it wasn't about a relationship with God at the time. Their hearts were hardened. They were hardened in their understanding. So that one answer that first time from the blind man, it wasn't good enough. They questioned him again because they refused to believe the words he spoke. You guys know this type of thinking hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's still the same today. When God has done a work, others who haven't bore witness to it might challenge it. They might challenge it. And so for you, will you be willing to cling to God's work or are you going to placate to the crowd? Because that's the pressure that is going to be around you. And so in practice, it's easy for you to say that, I'm Pastor, I'm going to cling to God. But what about when you're surrounded by the mob? You know? Just like this guy was. He was surrounded by the mob and he stood firm. There's a book I encourage you to read sometime. It's called She Said Yes. And it's the story of Cassie Bernal. And if you don't remember, in 1999, April 20th, 1999, a 17-year-old woke up that day just to go to high school like any other day in Columbine, Colorado. She goes to high school, and there's two young men that come there with guns. And one points a gun at her and says, do you believe in Jesus Christ? She said yes, and then he pulled the trigger. Most likely for you and I, it is never going to come to that point, but it is a great example of the hardness of hearts of people who have not bore witness to God, and it is also a great example of staying in the truth no matter what you face. Now, if you believe in the promise of Jesus Christ, that eternal life, then those threats that are around us, the public pressure, it really doesn't matter. We need to let Christ shine despite others' efforts against us. Are you guys hearing me over the ambulance? Okay, cool. Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44, it says, he said, pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is a great challenge for you and I because our demeanor and witness shouldn't change when people come against us. In fact, that can be an opportunity for God's glory to shine through your life. But that is determined by you. And your witness. In Acts chapter 7, it's the story of uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. His name's Stephen. And Stephen is being questioned about his faith, and he has been professing 
Jesus Christ and he has been, he's been converting others and as Stephen testified to the very ones who were questioning him, he, he says, it was you that put him to death. It was the same spirit that put him to death. And immediately, this infuriated the crowd. And I want to read you that response in Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 60. It says, Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who became Paul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. You never know if it was prayers like the prayer that Stephen prayed that caused God to call out Saul, a murderer of Christians who became Paul and wrote over half the New Testament. That boldness, church, that boldness for Christ is what is going to turn hearts to God. That kind of boldness. Your job, my job, is to display love. And it can be so easy just because of our human nature that we want to re return evil for evil. That we think, well, right then, at that moment, that is not a time to display Christ. That is a time for me to display how tough I am. It's wrong thinking. And you and I, it is also not our job to pick and choose who Jesus Christ is for. You and I, we need to minister to other people without prejudice. I grew up here about two miles away on Morton Street, if anyone knows where Morton is. And there were kids in the neighborhood that we would play with on a daily basis. And, and eventually what we did is we formed a club. Anyone have clubs growing up? And we built this fort. They, you know, it's the east side, of course. So they, they, they had in their front yard, they had weeds that were overgrown that were well over our heads. And we had opened up an area inside of all these weeds. And, and that became our fort. And if we didn't like you, you weren't welcome in our club, right? If you betrayed the group, you were kicked out. And the reality is, honestly, as much as we fought, this club didn't last very long. Like, there, there, was, there was a breakup, and then there was a reforming, and it just happened over and over and over again. But really, many have taken that approach in church. This life-changing faith that you have can't be a club. It can't be just welcoming to some, but not all. See, Christ died for all, and as he illustrates in the parable of the sower, the good news of Jesus should be spread by us liberally. We should spread it liberally, just, just letting people know the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not for you to determine who should and who should not hear it. 
Whether you are facing an enemy or a lifelong friend, people need to hear this truth that is so valuable to change their lives. But in order to do that, it has to be true and life-changing for you. See, I, I, I've been amongst believers that, that they hear this message and it's like the great, great next uh, multi-level marketing strategy. It's like, okay, pastor, I hear what you're saying. What I'm going to do is I go out, I get two people, they get two more people, and the next thing you know, I've got this nice pyramid under me and this is how we're going to do it. And I would tell you, no, it comes from a life that is thriving because of your own very relationship with Jesus Christ. That is how you reach people. If you're here in this room you have the opportunity to let Jesus change your life today but your heart needs to be open it needs to be open to God if you want to attribute human reasoning to God you know you can try you can try and, and make sense of the work that God did through Jesus Christ but my faith now has just come to the place where I'm like, God, I can't, I can't resist the things that you've done. I acknowledge it. I don't understand it. But I know I need you in my life. And I need that in my life. And you and I, church, what it comes down to is that we need a touch from God because that is the only thing that's going to get out this important message. You can deduce through human reasoning that Jesus Christ was here on the earth, that Jesus Christ died, that his body is no longer here. You can use human reasoning to come to those conclusions. But to understand the life-saving work of that blood that was shed on the cross for you and I, is something that God speaks to our heart. And so you and I, what we need to do is, we need to learn to yield completely to God, to be that willing vessel to say, God, use me. And don't try and manufacture what God's done in your life. Your life in and of itself is a testimony to who God is and what he can do. Just embrace that and let that be your message that is a witness to other people. But it's going to take a heart that yields. I ask everyone in here to bow your heads. And uh, this is a moment between you and God. I haven't lived your life, I don't know your circumstances. But what I do know is I know that I grew up thinking what's so special about me because I heard of great testimonies and what God has done in other people's lives and then I began to doubt he could do it in my life and what I did was I put up this barrier between God and myself because I was sitting there going, you know, God, it applies to other people but it doesn't apply to me. And the reality is God's done some really special things in my life that can minister to people, and he's going to do the same for you. 
But you have to make the choice to say, God, I trust in you. I believe in you. Use me. Maybe unlike the blind man, you've neglected And you didn't let that truth of what God can do change your heart. I'm telling you, God wants to turn hearts toward him. And so, he provides the miracle so that you can be in awe of his power. When I asked the question earlier, who's seen God work a miracle in their life? We had hands go up all over the room. May we become like the blind man who saw a miracle but was later testifying of the work of Jesus Christ, attributing him to God. I need to yield. I need to yield to him. If you're like me today, I'm just saying, I need to surrender everything over to God. I want God to use me. I ask that if you join me in getting on your knees today, whether it be at the altar or in your pew, I can't be happy with the status quo. I have to live my walk in Christ out loud. And so I encourage you right now, if you're here, Take an opportunity to come to these altars. Take an opportunity to get on your knees before God, whether whether it's in your pew or up here. I don't care, but I am telling you, this takes some initiative with each and every one of us. We can't have someone else do it for us. It's got to be us. It's got to be you and me making that choice on our own. Brian's just going to lead us And if you need to get on your knees before God and cry out to Him, let's take this time right now. I spent so long living in the dark, living in the dark.
appropriate song, isn't it? You know, the work of Christ truly begins when we start confessing. And so it's important for us to not only confess that Jesus is Lord, live it out daily, Let it change the words we speak. How we present ourselves to other people. It's critical. It's critical. And God can use you to do an amazing work. Don't limit yourselves. Because if you're limiting yourselves, you're ignoring the word of God. You're limiting God. 
power never rested in you. It's in others. Or it's, it's in God, sorry. My mind's on the clock. My mind's on you. My mind's on a little bit of everything. But I'm so glad, church, you came here today. I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day, and Lord, your sweet spirit that is in this place. And God, may we have that, that, that attitude that, Lord, we are now your ambassadors. We are the ones to carry your message. And God, we are also to display your might. And God, that is just, it comes from us being willing and ready. And God, we leave this place. With, with an attitude on our hearts that, God, this world is going to know that you reign in our life. So, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit rest upon all those who go. And that, Lord, when we leave this place, God, we are determined to bear witness to a world who doesn't know you. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Church, God bless.